0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io, Chainalysis, and FTX, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Saturday, August 13th, and that means it's time for the weekly recap. One note before we dive in, there are two ways to listen to the Breakdown podcast. You can find this on the Coindesk Podcast Network, alongside a number of other great shows, which comes out every afternoon. Alternatively, if you just want to hear the breakdown, you can find the breakdown-only feed as well, which comes out just a few hours later in the evening. Wherever you're listening, I so appreciate if you would take the time to leave a rating or review. It makes a huge difference in new people finding the show. Also, a disclosure as always. In addition to them being a sponsor of the show, I also work with FTX. And finally, this week, I am very excited to welcome Near as an additional sponsor. Nier is a revolutionary yet simple Web3 platform for building decentralized apps. Designed by developers for developers, over 700 projects are now building on Near's fast, secure, and scalable protocol. Whether you're a crypto native launching DeFi apps, NFT marketplaces, and play and earn games, or looking to migrate your project from Web2, Near makes it easy to build Web3 for the masses. Near offers developers a variety of tools, resources, and support for building apps, empowering communities, and creating a more fair, inclusive, and equitable future. Start your Web3 developer journey now by visiting Near at near.org. So. This was a hugely significant week, guys, and I think in some ways the best way to think about it is a preview of the fall. Now, one disclosure before I get into that, like I said yesterday, I'm actually traveling right now, so I recorded this a few days in advance, so if some crazy thing happened on Thursday or Friday, you'll know why it wasn't in the show. But from a macro perspective, easily the most significant event was the CPI print. This week we got July's inflation numbers, and they actually surprised to the downside— Economists had expected 8.7%, headline year-over-year inflation, and instead we got 8.5%. Month-over-month, headline inflation was 0%, and core inflation was a much less than expected 0.3%. Now, of course, what matters is not just the number but the trend. The numbers were widely seen as confirmation of the peak inflation thesis, which of course feeds into the peak hawkishness from the Fed thesis. This is what had been rallying stocks going back to the last FOMC meeting. Effectively, if the market believes that peak inflation and peak Fed tightening are behind us, then everything from here on out gets a bit more rosy. In the wake of the print, Bloomberg declared Wall Street defies CPI skeptics with risk-on rally. Quote, Traders went risk-on Wednesday, with the S&P 500 set for its highest since May. A surge in the Nasdaq 100 drove the tech-heavy gauge nearly 20% above its June bottom. The CBOE volatility index slumped below 20, a level last seen in April. The greenbacks slid the most since the onset of the pandemic. Funny enough, by our technical definitions, this means that Nasdaq is basically back in a bull market. Now, another funny thing about this is that Wall Street could actually be creating more future problems for itself by being too bullish. In other words, Wall Street getting overly bullish and pouring money back into stocks could have ripple effects. First, it could signal to the Fed that they need to keep tightening because expectations of a pivot are too high. Second, it could halt a general tightening of conditions that is slowing down the real economy. This is radically oversimplifying, but if stock prices rocket back in the other direction, layoffs and other types of real economy activity that lag market prices might halt. Meaning that the Fed's tightening can't actually work its way all the way through, meaning that the Fed feels like it has to keep its foot on the brake for longer. The Fed certainly is messaging that there is more tightening to come. Again from Bloomberg. Officials have said that they want to see months of evidence that prices are cooling, especially in the core gauge. The U.S. Central Bank will probably continue raising rates into next year to bring down unacceptably high inflation, Chicago Fed President Charles Evans noted. His Minneapolis counterpart, Neil Kashkari, said, quote, The idea that we're going to start cutting rates early next year when inflation is very likely going to be well in excess of our target, I just think it's unrealistic. One observation that I had watching all of this on Wednesday is the incredibly increased politicization of the debate. If you were a Democrat, you were talking about 0% inflation, i.e. the month-over-month number. If you were a Republican, you were talking about 8.5%. This, I think, is a preview of the ratcheting up of the politics of this discussion leading into the midterms in November. Still, in crypto, this macro event was not the biggest event, not by a long shot. That honor goes to the Treasury Department's sanctioning of Tornado Cash. Tornado Cash is a mixing service that obfuscates transactions in such a way as to preserve more transactional privacy. On Monday, Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC, sanctioned Tornado, claiming that it has been used to launder more than $7 billion worth of virtual currency since it launched. OFAC is particularly concerned with $455 million that was stolen by the Lazarus Group, which is a North Korean state sponsored hacking group. In the wake of the sanctions, Secretary of State Antony Blinken wrote We will continue to aggressively pursue actions against currency mixers laundering virtual currency for criminals. Today, U.S. Treasury sanctioned virtual currency mixer Tornado Cash which is a U.S.-sanctioned DPRK state-sponsored hacking group used by the DPRK to launder money. Now, when the crypto industry pointed out to Secretary Blinken that even his Treasury Department was not actually seemingly accusing Tornado Cash of being a hacking group itself, that tweet was deleted and replaced by one that said that Tornado Cash had been used to launder money for a U.S.-sanctioned DPRK state-sponsored cyber hacking group. Still, the quote-unquote mistake was fairly revealing. The immediate response from the crypto industry was that this was overreach and represented something fundamentally new. This was much the point of CoinCenter's response. They pointed out that in the past, these sort of sanctions have been used to identify specific people involved in illicit activities. Crypto addresses that have been sanctioned are connected to individuals, but ultimately the addresses are incidental. What matters is the people behind them. This, on the other hand, is an attack on a type of technology which by its nature is neutral. In a follow-up speech, Peter Van Valkenburgh from Coin Center expanded on some of these themes. Quote, "...banning software publication is banning speech. Banning otherwise legal transactions made to maintain one's own privacy and engage in anonymous speech for political purposes is also unconstitutional under the money-of-speech doctrines. Even laws that unreasonably chill speech are constitutionally suspect and can be challenged even before enforcement." End quote. Now, shortly after the announcement of the sanctions, the code repositories for the project were deleted from GitHub, and Tornado Cash co-founder Roman Semenov was suspended alongside two other contributors. He tweeted, My GitHub account was just suspended. Is writing an open-source code illegal now? In an emailed statement to Bloomberg, GitHub said that trade laws require them to, quote, restrict users and customers identified as specially designated nationals, SDNs, or other denied or blocked parties, or that may be using GitHub on behalf of blocked parties. We examine government sanctions thoroughly to be certain that users and customers are not impacted beyond what is required by law. However, the obvious issue here is that Semenov is not on the SDN list. Only the Tornado Cash Smart contract addresses are. Adding a person to the SDN has a very, very high bar. So is Semenov now to be considered on the list or not? Is providing him specifically with any goods or services a violation of sanctions? Or is it specifically the code that's being sanctioned? Deleting code from GitHub opens a couple of really concerning issues. Under current case law set during the fight over PGP encrypted communication tools in the 90s, code is considered speech and American citizens are constitutionally entitled to write or execute whichever code they choose. Now the obvious retort to that is that Microsoft, who owns GitHub, is a private company and can do whatever they want. However, in this case, GitHub responded that they are specifically doing this to comply with sanctions, i.e. a government instruction which they read as requiring them to delete repositories. Van Valkenburg discussed this as well quote: Several developers who have worked on software associated with the Tornado Cash protocol have had their GitHub accounts shut down. Now, if that's a business decision of GitHub's, the First Amendment isn't necessarily relevant. But I don't think that's just a pure business decision of GitHub. I think basically we're looking right at the chilling effect of an unconstitutional restriction on speech and the collateral consequences which is that people stop publishing interesting ideas. Matthew Green, a cryptography professor at Johns Hopkins who has been involved in various crypto privacy projects, writes... Using sanctioned power to take code off of public source code distribution sites feels like a pretty blatant attack on the First Amendment. Also a pretty stupid attack. It's literally a decentralized version control system. 30 years of hard legal work to establish First Amendment protections around software distribution blown up in a day by GitHub and Microsoft.
0: In times like these, security of your assets should be your number one priority. If you want to offset risk as much as possible and still stay in crypto, you need a trusted partner by your side. Nexo is a security first company that manages risk by relying on mechanisms such as over-collateralization, real-time auditing, and insurance on custodial assets. Learn more about Nexo's reliable business model and start your crypto journey at nexo.io. That's N-E-X-O dot I-O. Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto? Download the
1: FTX app today and use referral code BREAKDOWN to support the show. An additional dimension of this sanction's compliance comes around wrapped Bitcoin and BitGo. Botai Iguana writes, WBTC is issued by BitGo. Its entities are in South Dakota and New York. They must obey OFAC sanctions or face million-dollar fines and jail time for their execs. We therefore expect them to suspend redemptions of the tainted WBTC, rendering those tokens worthless. Liquidity providers will likely end up as bag holders for blocked WBTC and stablecoin assets if they do not pull liquidity from DEX immediately. What does this mean for Ethereum miners and stakers who are US persons? There's no legal precedent we're aware of and we're not lawyers, but it doesn't look good. It seems possible that breach of OFAC sanctions would occur if a miner or validator produces or validates an Ethereum block which contains a transaction including one of the Ethereum addresses on the SDN list. However, how it'll be enforced is unclear. Bantig from Yearn made the point more crisply. There are 225 wrapped Bitcoin in Tornado Cash. WBTC is custodied by BitGo. WBTC token doesn't have any freeze or seize functionality. This means BitGo can't comply and goes to jail. Another company that has more of an ability to comply to the chagrin of some is Circle, the issuer of USDC. On Tuesday, Circle CEO Jeremy Allaire wrote this thread. Yesterday, U.S. Treasury designated for sanctions ETH addresses associated with Tornado Cash. As a U.S.-regulated financial institution subject to Bank Secrecy Act requirements, Circle together with our partner Coinbase restricted the movement of USDC funds in these sanctioned addresses. It is likely that nearly all responsible registered virtual asset service providers also took steps to block customers from transacting with these addresses or face charges of willfully avoiding U.S. sanctions compliance obligations, which can bring up to 30 years in prison. The regulatory intervention in this case crossed a major threshold in the history of the internet and the history of open blockchain finance with a major government obliging parties to outright block or limit the functioning of open-source software on the internet. It raises extraordinary questions about privacy and security on the internet and the future of public internet digital currency. We have noted the tensions between privacy and security as a policy matter. Yesterday, this stopped being an abstraction. This is a critical moment for the crypto industry to sharpen its focus on major policy issues tied to financial privacy. Crypto and blockchain infrastructure heralds an open internet of value exchange and challenges decades of old regulatory frameworks for everything from market structure, payment systems, custody and settlement, risk management, and of course, fundamental privacy and security. To date, policy efforts have focused primarily on issues of market supervision and stablecoins, alongside a global effort to continue to enhance AML CTF controls for digital asset operators and intermediaries. But the rapid growth of open source self running protocols is challenging policymakers everywhere, and the result, unfortunately, will be more blunt force enforcement actions if we don't take action now. In the next days, Circle will call on crypto industry leaders, associations, and protocol developers to come together and help advance legal frameworks and policies to safeguard user privacy and security while evolving financial integrity rules to deal with open source protocols. This is a pillar in the fight to protect DeFi and the future of public internet digital currency. It is not about any one organization. It's about all that we collectively have built and represent and the future we believe in. One of the big concerns coming out of all of this is just how much USDC is wrapped up in DeFi. Regardless of what Jeremy and the team at Circle want, they're in a position where they're a US company forced to comply with these sort of regulations. So, what will that mean for the future of DeFi protocols that are run largely on USDC? Another area of concern with all of this is that there's a real lack of clarity about how sanctions compliance is going to work in the context of individual addresses. Basically, publicly known addresses can be sent crypto even if they don't want it or didn't request it. Does this put anyone with a publicly known address at risk of non-compliance with sanctions? Within a day of this announcement, an anonymous user had sent a slew of Tornado Cash transactions to high-profile Ethereum addresses, including Brian Armstrong, Jimmy Fallon, Puma, Beeple, and an address that has been associated with Dave Chappelle. Some have seen it as a troll of the celebrities, but I think it's quite clearly not. It's pointing out the ridiculousness of the compliance of these sanctions in the first place. From Coindesk, the gag effectively points out the absurdity of such sanctions for users receiving funds from blacklisted addresses that they have no power to decline. The open nature of crypto is designed to cut out intermediaries, unlike the traditional financial sector that would use banks and other financial institutions to act as gatekeepers against such transactions. So trying to sum this up, I think that there are two biggests here. The first biggest is that this may be one of the biggest stretches of the existing legal system that the US government has tried with regard to crypto. That's Masari's Ryan Selkis' argument. Responding to a person who had been deplatformed from OpenSea for having used Tornado Cash previously, Salkis retweeted and said, This is the chaos government overreach causes. It's like we're trying to lose the lead the US has in crypto. The Tornado Cash address sanctions are one of the most egregious instances of overreach since Bitcoin was invented. And that's saying something. The second biggest is that this is likely to prompt the biggest and most significant discussion about what decentralization really means and why decentralization is needed that the crypto industry has ever faced. Yes, we talk about decentralization all the time, but in the face of this, the real stakes are made clear, and people are going to be forced in a fairly significant way to figure out what really matters to them when it comes to decentralization. As Clark Moody wrote, decentralization doesn't matter until it does. Anyways guys, it was clearly a big week, and one that probably heralds more of the battles to come in the months ahead. For now, I want to say thanks again to my sponsors, Nexo.io, Chainalysis, FTX, and Near, and thanks to you guys for listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace!